This is Marco Reus. This is Shinji Kagawa. This is Nuri Shahin. Hello, this is Jaden Sancho. And you're listening to the Yellow Wall podcast. Welcome to episode 322 of the Yellow Wall Pods. I'm your host Stefan Botsko and with the Bundesliga bound to resume next week, we are back with the Q&A episode. And to answer all your questions, join me. Well, it's basically the entire band is back here together. Uh, Matthias Zug. Hello, Matthias. How are you doing? Hello, Stefan. I am doing quite well. How are you doing? Well, I'm obviously not doing as well as you are because I've read that you have been fly fishing. Yeah, yeah, we're allowed to outdoor recreate in Colorado and fly rods nine, ten feet long. If anybody decides to get a little closer than that, I just smack him in the face with it. So it's pretty easy. All right. It's uh, interesting to hear about your social distancing tactics. Um, Lars Paulman also here. Hello, Lars. Welcome back. Uh, what are your social distancing measures? Uh, Stefan, just don't have a social life. Don't have any acquaintances or friends, so you don't even see other people. Uh, that works too, I guess. Uh, I assume it's going to be the same for Mr. Konstantin Egner. Hello, Konstantin. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Only t only tindering on Wednesday. <laughs> Are you actually getting any matches? Oh, I'm getting more matches than the Bundesliga in the past seven weeks or so. <laughs> We're here all <laughs> thank week. You, thank you, thank you. All right, yeah. Uh, to any new listeners out there uh, who may have uh, chosen to opt to listen to this podcast because they have no idea what the Bundesliga is and somehow are trying to find a way in, um, this is about as good as it gets on this show. So without any further ado, I'm uh, very happy to announce that we have two sponsors for this episode. Vedran Dedic is sponsoring this episode and he is currently in the working stages of writing a book about his local team in Mobile, Alabama, which is called AFC Mobile, and he's hoping that it's ready to be published by next summer. We'll be looking out for that one and uh, he also sends his thoughts to everyone affected by the coronavirus pandemic and this episode is also sponsored by Jordan Hunt, who is hoping that all listeners are staying safe and keeping well in these difficult times. And I hope this extends to the panels as well. Anyway, um, let's get down to business. And before we answer your questions, Constantine, uh, since you are out there shilling, trying to get on CNN and MSNBC and whatnot, uh, I've heard you are very uh, well versed in the Bundesliga safety concept, which allows German football to resume again. So um, if you have any uh, capability to summarize it, uh, here is your stage. Really? This, uh, 50, I think 53 pages. So give me an hour. <laughs> <laughs> you have 10 sentences sentence or less. T 10 sentences? Fewer. Um, yeah, all right. Uh, so, I mean, the gist of it is that the Bundesliga German Football League, DFL, um, I mean, they're relying on repeated testing. Uh, players, staff will be tested twice a week. 
uh, if they play on Wednesday and on Saturday, they will be tested right before the two matches. Otherwise, they will be tested for, before the Saturday match, for instance, and during the week after before training somewhere there. Um, so that's that's one major thing. There's also some anti-body testing going on, but only for research purposes because uh, German medical institutes are, are trying out trying to find out if anti-body testing is also reliable, uh, which isn't isn't proven yet. So. Um, that's that's one thing, and then it's uh, then the German Football League has released a quite sophisticated, I think, uh, hygiene concept, hygiene protocol, uh, which involves a thousand steps. All right, just uh, it's it's really about that um, there are only up to three hundred and twenty people allowed inside and outside, close to the stadium uh, on match day, um, and only around kickoff. Um, these 320 people will be present at the same time uh, because the hours before that um, there were people coming in um, then at then you got all the people in at, at kickoff and then afterwards or really shortly after the final whistle uh, lot, lots of people will leave again and so it's really it's it's um, more or less called a dynamic personnel plan. Uh, meaning that you don't have all these people all the time there. Um, I mean, it starts uh, when you play 3.30 in the afternoon. It starts really 8 o'clock in the morning when the queen, queen keepers, for instance, come in. You know, they can they can take care of the pitch early in the morning and then our people come in and do their stuff. You know, te- television production people set up cameras and the VAR people are coming in 10 o'clock, you know, have to work hard uh, to do the VAR stuff. Um, so players are... Ex, or I mean, the teams will stay in hotels or training facilities. Um, let's say you're a home team, you might stay in your training facility, stay there overnight and stay there for seven, eight, nine days. Um, not meeting your family, yeah. not not getting any visits. It's more like a little bit of a prison. Um, although yeah, you have, Dortmund will stay in a team hotel for the next seven days. They will, yeah. And at Bayern Dortmund. Munich, for instance, they have rented the Infinity Hotel in Schleißheim, the largest uh, hotel and conference center in southern Germany. Uh, but RB Leipzig, they will stay in Kotterweg and they are on that training ground. Uh, with, like everyone has their own room with t- television and internet access and all this stuff. So it's a little bit different, but still, um, yeah, they all try to figure out it. Um, I mean, Hamburg is foul. Second division club will stay probably at the five-star Grand Elysee ho- uh, hotel in Hamburg. So, um, just for a little bit gossip there. Um, so, so the, the the players will are expected to leave these hotels and training facilities around, I think two and a half. It depends a little bit where they are. Uh, two and a half um, hours before kickoff, then they will come into the into the stadium. Uh, will dress, but they are supposed to be spread out across the locker room areas. Uh, clubs are expected to use as many um, rooms as possible um, there. I mean, that's it's it's easier when you have something like the Allianz Arena with the large spaces. Uh, when you are a Schalke, you have a little bit of a problem uh, if you know the, the infrastructure of the stadium. So, but they have to try to figure out something. And all, all the players, when they come to the stadium, they will wear face masks. Um, they they can only take them off once they are on the pitch. Um, and uh, talking about face masks, that's interesting. So, all unless you are a player or a referee on the pitch, you are a linesman, you have to wear a face mask. Uh, I mean, there was a memo released today. 
meaning today is uh, Friday, so that their coaches can actually take off their face masks to shout something across the pitch. Uh, if they want to, uh, but they have to stay, you know, uh, keep distance to others. 1.5 meters is, is basically the matching number there. Um, also on the bench, the bench player have to wear a face mask and they also have to leave one or two seats uh, empty between each other. Or what also a couple of uh, clubs are right now exploring is to use the stands be be behind the bench to, um, you know, um, host a couple of bench players there or a couple of staff members. Um, so yeah, that's that's about it. And you, and really the stadium will be um, split into three sections. You have one sections, one section that the inner area where the players are and so on. There are 100 people, around 100 people, is, uh, you know, um, give or take. Um, then you got this second section that's all the stands with the with the press area and so there are 100 people there. Um, you know, video analysts and people from the German FA who observe the match and stuff like that. And then you got also an additional 100 people areas around the stadium, security personnel, paramedics, and so on, um, and pr production people um, outside. So yeah, that's that's basically how it will look, and it will be interesting. And I mean, there are lots of interesting tidbits you can you can uh, explore. I mean, it's, for instance, there won't be any handshakes before the, before kickoff. Uh, there won't be any player escorts before kickoff. Uh, there yeah, won't so be any, any team pictures taken before kickoff. <laughs> I actually have a question. You sure. were just talking about the, the 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 zoning, basically that you yeah. have three sections, and uh, you know you have a maximum of three hundred people or three hundred twenty, and uh, you know I think the rule is that uh, no more than one hundred people can be in one zone at the same time. So I think it says as an example that uh, if uh, you you have uh, one hundred fifty people in zone one and uh, 50 people in zone two, it, it also is not possible. Uh, how is this being enforced? Right. Who's uh, taking care of that and who's counting the, the people and where they are? Uh, because uh, stadiums are quite big and it's very hard to keep oversight. Right, uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, what you what you just said. It's really it's it's one hundred in a little bit in some of these sections. Um, so it's around one hundred people. Uh, as I said, I, I counted it at kickoff time. You have one hundred uh, three hundred and twenty two people uh, in this area, inside and close outside the stadium. Um, but of course, in this in second Bundesliga, for instance, there are less people there, and you don't have to reach the maximum number of people. Uh, I mean, if you have less, the <laughs> it's the better. Um, so what they will do is uh, right at, let's say, 10 o'clock or so in, in, in the morning, uh, over four, uh, 30 security officers will be there uh, to enforce it. If you want to get in, you need credentials. You need a passport or some kind of credential. Um, it's really enforced. And even the player have to show their credentials that they get, that they get in. It's not like face check or something. I mean, maybe it will be a little bit. Uh, if Marco Reus arrives at the, the Zikdani Duna Park, I guess he will get in without showing his his uh, his uh, accreditation or something like that. I guess, uh, but you you know what I, what I mean. Uh, it's really it's really very strict in terms of um, security checks uh, getting into these areas, and really you are only assigned to area two, area one, or something like that, and then you can can get in. Um, so it's really down to that. And um, I mean, there will probably be additional police forces at some of these matches. Revere Derby, I mean, is expected that Dortmund police will secure the match with additional um, officers uh, because maybe fans want to get in 
or uh, other stuff will happen, so they have to do that. Um, of course, low-key match, low-profile matches, you don't really have that, but still, I mean, uh, police will be present. As police is present uh, everywhere, uh, um, yeah, I mean, in, in the cities, um, because of COVID-19, so I guess um, that's business as usual right now, right? Yeah, I suppose so. Um, I, I think we'll, we'll come back a little bit to that subject uh, due to the questions that we received. But um, let's take a little break from the uh, safety concept of the German Task Force Sportmedizin, or whatever it's called. Um, and uh, today there was some news from the IFAB, uh, which is not uh, Apple's latest uh, masturbation device, but uh, the... Uh, football board that makes the rules and they suggested that uh, leagues are now allowed to use five substitutions but can only take three breaks uh, so uh, or three interruptions if you will um, Lars what do you make of this rule would you um, uh, appreciate it or do you think it's rubbish well first of all the 36 members of the DFL, the German League Association, would have to uh, agree on actually putting that rule in place in Germany, which Christian Seifert, the, I guess, CEO of the DFL on Thursday, called a possibility, but uh, not a necessity. So, uh, I mean, given that it's still more than a week before the first game, I think there's still time to do that, but I'm pretty certain it's not going to be, you know a unanimous decision in favor. Uh, today, uh, Julian Nagelsmann, head coach of Leipzig, came out against the idea, for example, saying that um, concerns uh, over players' lack of fitness after these uh, seven or eight weeks without match practice uh, are overblown because uh, I think this is a direct quote. We didn't spend all these weeks on Copacabana. Um, so... <laughs> Speak he, for yourself, Mr. Nagelsmann. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he fears that these substitutions will only be used in a tactical sense to uh, work the clock, basically, which I guess, with the caveat you mentioned of the three interruptions, is kind of alleviated, but still, uh, I personally don't see necessarily a real reason for it. I mean, maybe the get players are a bit rusty in the first couple of games but I mean they are still highly professional highly motivated uh, professional athletes basically so I would assume that they can be get back into uh, the shape of things quickly enough for there not to be this massive uh, intrusion in what we know is football because you know football is 90 minutes with 11 players on the pitch and three substitutions and that's been the case since I think like the early 70s or something so, I mean, especially considering Germany is the first league back, uh, I think there might be some push from, you know, international figures, maybe UEFA, FIFA representatives for Germany to actually uh, enforce this rule just to see how it goes in, you know, a professional setting. But I personally don't really see uh, why that would be the case. Yeah, I I agree. Also, um, I think your initial reaction when I uh, read it out in the pre-point was uh, that Lucien Favre wouldn't make use of them anyway, so it would be uh, futile. Um, Matthias, I guess it's time to move on to the questions, and the uh, first question uh, comes from uh, Coelho, 
And he says, question is, does anyone actually care about football right now? And I think we can add the next question to it from Han Forte at Deutschstache. Uh, what would it take to cancel the season? Well, I mean, to answer the first question, caring is a difficult thing. Um, as someone who falls smack dab into the middle of the high-risk category, uh, I still really care about it because... It's kind of one of those uh, distractions you can feel that people need, something that's a little bit different so that, I mean, I, I see it. I've got two kids at home. They're not going to school here. And even though we're enjoying a little bit lower pace life, uh, you, you fall into boredom pretty quickly and stuff like that. And it's a, it's a welcome distraction in a time when too many people, uh, it's, it's very quick and easy to kind of fall in the mental trap of everything being bad and negative and so this this gives you something positive to look forward to i mean you just look at how excited people were about the freaking nfl draft because it was sports related and nobody was even playing anything and by the way i really like the way they did the draft and i hope they always do it that way um so i think people care in the sense of have a distraction something different to talk about and focus on other than this uh plus The caring is also beyond just us as fans. Uh, if you look at how many people's jobs and livelihood are at stake from people that work at the clubs, that work at the league, uh, broadcasters, journalists, networks, all that stuff, you have to care because these are also people's livelihoods and jobs at stake. And what would it take to cancel the season? Uh, I think if there's just a massive... Uh, health fallout. I mean, we see it, it. It would have to be pretty extreme because when you see in in times past or even this last winter, if a huge section of a club, I remember Dortmund had that wave as 1.2 where a lot of players were down uh, with an illness, be it a stomach bug or anything like that. They still went on to play, just those players didn't. Uh, so I don't know exactly where that number is and how long the recovery time and all that kind of stuff would, would be implemented. I think the only thing that would really uh, shut it down at this point, now that it's going to take place, is if there's a massive fallout health-wise as far as people becoming acutely sick from this. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess when someone dies, <laughs> um, that that might be a point. But I honestly don't know where where you draw the line. And I, I guess, um, you know, situations escalate quite quickly, as we've learned, uh, you know, at the start of the coronavirus and how, how quickly things went from uh, we'll play without any uh, spectators to we won't play at all. So, um, yeah, I would not... You know, I wouldn't rule it out that uh, the the season actually doesn't finish, but uh, I think uh, it's it's still okay to try. Um, in in my opinion, I think uh, other people will have different opinions and, and think this is basically a waste of time and and a risk for a lot of people. Um, but uh, you know, I I don't know. Looking from the United States to Germany, it seems like over there things are quite in control. I wouldn't be able to say the same about. How things are going here um last next question comes from ed zagadunio and he asks or she asks thoughts on how the team will be affected without any fans i think we should do something like what gladbach are doing um 
first of all, what are Gladbach doing and uh, should Dortmund do that as well? Uh, Gladbach have offered their fans and I think it's also uh, would-be away fans at this stage because it's been such a huge uh, success to uh, buy, I guess, cutboard, uh, cutouts, cardboard cutouts uh, of themselves, basically. So if you're a diehard Gladbach fan, uh, you could invest a little bit of money. It's not particularly expensive as, as far as I know to have a facsimile of yourself in what is it in Gladbach. I think the North Stand is where the, the most uh, ferocious Gladbach fans are standing usually. And I think they have something like 12,000 of these, what they call Pappkameraden, uh, standing in the uh, North Tribune of uh, Gladbach for, you know, to um, simulate support And, and basically, it's mostly a PR thing that kind of has taken a life on its own and is kind of a neat thing to connect fans to the club without the the ability to go to games, presumably for the rest of the year, if not even longer. Um, so, yeah, I mean, should Dortmund do that? If, if anyone else does it now, it's just to copy what Gladbach did. They had a pretty nice idea. I think that was also in... Uh, or came up in discussions with actual uh, fan representatives. So if anyone else did it now, it would be it, it would look kind of cheesy and and whatnot. So I wouldn't necessarily do that. I think the uh, concept paper the DFL has uh, published to the clubs says that you know uh, fans can still show messages of support or whatever. Uh, bring banners into the stadium as long as obviously uh, while uh, taking them there and, and fixing them uh, to whatever posts or whatever uh, the, the social distancing rules are still followed but you know I, I wouldn't be surprised if for example on the uh, yellow wall we saw you know a couple of flags and banners and whatever just so it's not you know a slab of uh, concrete basically um, and as for how much the players will be affected i mean that's basically the the million dollar question right now uh, nobody really knows i mean dortmund played a, a ghost game at paris in the champions league and dropped out and <laughs> kind of ah, i'd forgotten about that man <laughs> and and it kind of felt like they they didn't have the 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 energy level but then again that was a way to a very good team uh, so would that have been the same uh, for a normal bundesliga game i don't know Uh, I do think that Dortmund might be suffering more than other clubs just because this season Dortmund were the only Bundesliga team to be unbeaten at home. And, you know, I think uh, the yellow wall pot would be remiss if if we acted like fans don't have anything to do in that. No, of course. I mean, uh, ironically, the uh, last home loss that Dortmund suffered was against Schalke, which is also the next game coming up. Um, and uh, also the next question, uh, I hope it's not a loaded one, uh, but uh, it seems it is. At Tragedia 1917 asks, without fans, can B4B win anything, Konstantin? I mean, sure, because someone has to win something without fans. Yeah, but is that B4B? I don't know. Um, I... Maybe. <laughs> Question before I, was, can Dortmund I, I, win I, I anything with fans? But uh, no. Well, yeah, 
well, I guess they, they can, uh, because I think players will get used to the situation, and our teams all, I mean, I mean sometimes I think um, fans, Dortmund fans, have to accept that our stadiums or our teams in their home stadiums are also getting great support. Um, and are also, um, you know, supported and have these emotional bond with their fans. Maybe not as many fans, because the stadiums are smaller, fan base is smaller. Still, um, it's not like uh, Dortmund is the only team here in the situation that loses home games uh, with great su- with great support. There are us too. Um, so I think that players will get used to it. Um, it will be a different situation. Uh, I think that the matches will be affected to some extent. Uh, talking to a couple of head coaches, not 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 uh, not only from the Bundesliga but also the second Liga, second Bundesliga, that it will it will be a bit of a different game because of the break, but also because of the atmosphere. But I think uh, if you are a team that has the quality um, and Dortmund certainly has the quality, um, then I think you can adapt to the situation and uh, can make the best of it. So uh, I, I don't I wouldn't wouldn't uh, hang it on you know the fact that there aren't any fans I think that's that's like when, when we talk about who's better playing at uh, in snow well both teams play in snow at the same time um, so maybe it's, it's more about adaptability yeah yeah Mr. Tuchel always gotta adapt <laughs> first his mantra um, Matthias, next question I will hand to you. Uh, it's from Daniel Ipad, and he asks, do you think the championship will now be decided by the team with the biggest depth in brackets Kalatiefe? How does Dortmund compare in this regard with their competitors? Well, I mean, the situation hasn't really changed when it comes to depth. Um, I mean, anybody that was injured before has probably gotten past and over a lot of those issues. Um, I, I don't really it's it's hard to say because we don't even know what's going to happen with european competitions and cup competitions so fixture congestion is more just the bundesliga at this time bayern we all know don't have a lot of depth in their uh squad but the quality is really high um i it's honestly to me it hasn't really changed much i I don't think this stresses that any more than anything else because if you look at the top teams uh this time of year they you okay if we take this time of year as in back in march because this time of year usually the season's coming to a close pretty soon uh they're playing you know two three matches in a seven to ten day span anyway so I, I don't really see it being any graver or a more weighted now than it was two months ago. Yeah, maybe it was uh, aimed uh, toward, uh, you know, if, if players get tested positive and then have to quarantine. Maybe that was the uh, thinking behind the question, but I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I mean, that's but that's hard to that's, speculate. That's a lottery anyway, y- so... Yeah, it, it, whether it's COVID or any other illness or, you know, uh, falling down on your face at home, Axel Witzel, uh, there are things outside of your control that you can't plan for. And at this point, that's a moot point because no one's moving clubs right now anyway. So it is what it is, as much as I hate that saying. Yeah, speaking of it, it is what it is. Uh, what is the status of Royce? Asked John Blaylock last. What is the status of Royce? 
Uh, Royce is a hobby astronomer these days, which was revealed when he interviewed for some private German TV station, I forgot. Uh, as for the football part, he is still injured, <laughs> uh, as is usually the case when we talk about Mark Royce on this podcast. Um, he is probably going to feature in some of these games coming up. But as always, uh, I, I believe it when I see it. So he said, I think end of May is kind of his target date to re-enter, uh, you know, full-on team training and matches. But, you know, we'll see. Yeah, I've read today somewhere that uh, he might return for the game against Wolfsburg, which uh, I actually find utopic. Uh, at, at this point but um yeah he uh, picked up a muscle injury in was it late mid or early february i don't even remember in the cup match against werder bremen and uh you know i think the initial initial diagnosis was like four weeks or, or six weeks or something like that and yeah it's it's dragged out a little bit since then but it's also uh you know no, nothing we haven't seen before um Uh, at Awesome Bill 3 uh, asks about uh, you know fans zooming skyping or whatever uh, in, into I don't know chance uh, basically pipe fans via speakers into the stadiums uh, the uh, DFL or whoever has already banned that so um, it's not going to be possible to to uh, blur out any noise of or fan noise any can noise uh, in into the games to uh, simulate a more realistic atmosphere also Dortmund um, aren't the Atlanta Falcons so there's that too um and anyway <laughs> I, I didn't know the Atlanta Falcons did that which is yeah they weren't pathetic. they weren't penalized for it because they are not the New England Patriots right anywho Uh, next open question. Open up yourself to hate mail. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know uh, if if we can even talk about NFL right now because face masks are illegal illegal there. Um, anyway, next question <laughs> comes from BVB Boston, and he asks, "How are the various municipalities going to handle match days in the current environment, Constantine?" They will handle how they handle. Anything else, I guess. Um, it's not really down to the to the cities and, and Landkreise. Uh, <laughs> it's the, the regional districts. Um, I, I, I think his... I, sorry, I skipped the second part of his question, which reads, are they going to take oh, extra sorry. steps to ensure fans aren't congregating in large groups outside the stadiums? Okay. As we, for example, saw uh, in the Champions League game where uh, Dortmund played against PSG and there were right. a lot of fans outside of the uh, Parc de Prince or whatever it's called. Sure, that, but it was also a different time. It was uh, way before, basically, a, a city like Bergamo was uh, not wiped out, but uh, heavily battered by the virus. So I think uh, people have learned a thing or two. Not all people have learned a thing or two, but I think a lot of people um, didn't really realize what the situation was uh, back when Dortmund played Paris. And I mean... Yeah, I mean, yeah. Now they should have learned. Uh, back then, it was was a different time. Um, so yeah, what? So now I got the question because, as I mentioned before, um, teams 
are taken care, they, they rent accommodations or they, they just use their training grounds uh, to accommodate players. So that's down to the, to the teams. Um, and we also we only t- talk about like 50 people. This, this players and staff are 50 to 60 people. So I mean, we have we have factories reopening. That's a different kind of animal uh, than the football clubs going around. Um, so yeah, down to that. I mean, um, it's not really the, uh, down to the down to the cities and and Landkreise. Uh, it's more uh, up to the states, the federal states, because um, they employ the police forces that would be present at matches. I think they will assess the situation uh, case by case. Um, police is in the know when it comes to fan groups, when it comes to uh, who, uh, which fan group might be organizing something. Um, that's just part of the part of the gig there. Um, so I think that uh, if they expect something, yes, they will. Uh, they will, as I mentioned uh, uh, in, in the early goings of this podcast, that they will um, employ police forces uh, in, in large numbers. Um, there will be police officers present at every match. Uh, but of course, in small numbers, when they don't really expect anything to happen. Um, so may, I think the real derby, as far as I know, um, Dortmund Schalke, the Dortmund police will be visibly present outside the stadium. Yeah, I mean, I I would assume if if there would be any, I, I don't want to say congregation, but if people have an itch to be close to the ground or something, it might be that game in particular, especially with the euphoria, maybe. Uh, that things return, or uh, however, um, I also. But, also but wanna... one, one thing to keep in mind: that the hardcore fans and a lot of ultra groups are against the restart of the season. So we have to we have to keep that in mind. There's heavy protests from the from ultra groups and hardcore fans uh, against the the re- resumption of the season. So I don't expect them to see it there. Uh, because yeah. they they don't like what's going on. They don't like these quote-unquote ghost matches, these spectator-free matches, uh, they are oppose, uh, opposing them. So uh, being outside, I mean, maybe for protests, but on the other hand, I, I don't think because their statement, their major statement or their mission statement right now is, uh, they meaning the ultra groups and, and some of the f- active fan groups, is that we should support our communities and not think about football. So then g- uh, coming to uh, protest the match and don't uh, obey social distancing rules, it would contradict the statements they have put out for weeks now. So, yeah, I, I I think that's that's important to note. And I think today somewhere I read a poll. I don't know uh, how how current it is, but that about fifty percent of the German population are actually against the resumation of the Bundesliga, and uh, about thirty percent are for it. And yeah, what Deutsche Welle um, Deutsche Welle did a did a poll. Yeah. Was yeah. like 60, 30, something, 60, 60 against 30. 30 yeah, and like 20% just don't care. Something like that. Uh, any, ma- any math who... doesn't have up, but yeah. No, it does. Yeah, Six, 60, 30, 20. Of course it does. No, I said 50, 30, 20. I'm sorry. Yeah, okay. Anyway, next question from Steve <laughs> Berkowitz. <laughs> uh, and he has actually three questions. And the first question is What are BVB's goals for the rest of the season? Uh, Lars, I guess survive is the number one goal. Uh, win the championship, fairly easy. Right. Like uh, what else? What else? What, I mean, not become fifth. Like don't drop so many points that Bayer Leverkusen suddenly overtake you. But I mean that's not gonna happen. So 
all guns blazing. You have a Bayern at home, uh, so four four points of a disadvantage at this point. So you can kind of guess that you have to probably win at least eight of these nine games. All right, uh, that sort of also ask, uh, answers the uh, second question. What do you think the player's mindset is like now? Uh, Matthias, if you have any other uh, shout of what the mindset probably is right now, uh, please uh, in indulge me. Um, I guess overall some might be uh, concerned with their family safety or, or something like that. Um, I mean, there was a little... Uh, Little uh, falling out with Westerbürgerverstrette uh, uh, or what is his name from from SFC Köln, but I haven't really read much about it to be honest, so I don't exactly know what happened there. Uh, you know, I'll be honest. Um, I'm not going to speculate. I think uh, uh, over the last two and a half months, uh, plenty of people can be accused of speculative journalism and selling it as fact. And oh, I know what people think or what they should think. I don't know. You know, I know from all I can speak is how I feel as a f parent of kids and a husband and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to speculate how Marco Royce or Mario Götze or Axel Witzel or Roman Bürki or Lucien Favre think or what their mentality is. I don't know. I don't know. All right. So the third question is uh, more of a financial one. What's happening with the Champions League payouts after the cancellation? Constantine, do you know that? Because I certainly do not. No, it's still up in the air. Uh, what will what will happen? I mean, if if you like the payouts for for matches that already happened, I mean, they will the payouts will they are. I mean, I think the money has already been paid uh, to the clubs. So what what's what's going to happen with the remaining payouts? Basically, if you are in the quarterfinals or something, um, right now nothing. Um, Right now, nothing because there are still talks going on about all these things um, within the UEFA um, and beyond, actually, the UEFA. So we will see. Um, I mean, uh, as far as Dortmund is concerned, Dortmund shouldn't be concerned about it because they dropped out. Um, and so there's, there is no claim to be made uh, from Dortmund's side uh, for any kind of Champions League money right now. Um, it's also much more, I, I think um, we will see a shift um, as far as the decision-making goes uh, in, in a couple of weeks when really uh, entities like the UEFA uh, will uh, pivot towards what's going on uh, next season and how we will, we will actually have football next season. Uh, because even that is very much in the air uh, as of this point. I mean, Bundesliga is a, it's a shiny light, uh, but it's only one. And if you look around, it's it's kind of, kind of difficult uh, to really make plans for international football and just domestic football and, and all this stuff. So, um, yeah, we will see. And also, what, of course, is a major issue, and uh, that's, that's a major issue that's, that has... Um, Concern that still concerns the Bundesliga and the, the German Football League, and it also concerns uh, the UEFA is uh, what's going on with the what will happen with the television rights money. Uh, of course, television rights holders aren't really keen to pay money for matches that aren't broadcasted, rightfully so, in my opinion. Um, so, there are also a couple or plenty of high-profile matches in the Champions League and in the Europa League, especially you know, semi-finals and finals, that won't ha won't be broadcasted. So what's going on with that? And uh, there are, let's put it that way, 
there are deals to be made. Um, and just like the Bundesliga made a deal with Sky before even uh, getting the, the green light uh, from the political authorities to resume the season, a deal with Sky Germany was already being made. Uh, and you can, you can, you know, probably imagine uh, that the deal involves more than just paying money for the next month. It's, it's interesting times for, uh, let's say, smart negotiators. Yeah, or, uh, you know, bribery and blackmail, as uh, it is usual. Stefan, <laughs> please, you know, <laughs> please. All right, um, uh, <laughs> let's uh, turn our focus a little bit to the uh, transfer questions that we received. And I'll actually uh, start with this one uh, from Christopher at Mr. Libertine or Libertine. Um, how does this affect the buy low, sell high transfer policy of the club? Are we likely to try and hold on to Sancho at all for another season until the transfer market rebalances or let them go cut price to bring through the next generation last? Um, I think pretty much every player that would have gone in the summer market but is under contract beyond 2021, so the Sanchos, the, the Harvardses, uh, and whoever else, unless they have a release clause, obviously, and some club is able to activate that, which might be the case, for example, for Lautaro Martinez of Inter Milan. Uh, but, you know, the Sanchos and Harvards, I would thoroughly expect them to stick around for another year, uh, which obviously in the case of Sancho would be pretty good for Dortmund, even though I think uh, with the financial outlay made in January for both Erling Haaland and Emre Can, I think Dortmund kind of expected to have some influx of cash in the summer uh, for, you know, this, this English kid on the right wing usually. So, I mean, keeping Sancho is great, but, you know, the plans might have been different uh, at that point anyway. But, you know, generally speaking, I think a club that has a decent squad and stability in, in key areas, uh, you know, head coaching situation, sports management, if you like, uh, I think most of those kinds of clubs will stay put or more or less, you know, I don't think a club like Dortmund is going to make suddenly, you know, five, six bigger signings, unless, you know, Manchester United say, I don't care, give me Sancho, whatever it takes. I mean, that, that could always change things, because if you're flush with cash this summer, you can really, uh, you know, put, the, put your hands on the throat of a selling club, especially if a, a talented player is only under contract until 10, uh, 2021, because obviously that's This is the window in which you usually would sell those players, but it's not necessarily a seller's market this summer. So it's certainly going to be interesting, but my prediction would be uh, Sancho staying at Dortmund for another year. Yeah, so uh, there is a hypothetical question here from Connor at Gottschek on Twitter, and he asks, would you move Sancho on and bring in Harvards this summer if possible, Matthias? Um, No... <laughs> I mean, that's, uh, I mean, I guess, hypothetically speaking, honestly, I think right now there's going to be a lot of stay put mentality, unlike, as was just stated, there is a release clause somewhere and somebody is willing to take that calculated risk, depending on what can and can't come in financially. Um, I, I, it's, that's a, that's a tough one. 
knowing that Sancho definitely will at some point go to England uh, and Havertz will leave Bayer Leverkusen to then maybe stop him from going to Bayern, that that could be a possibility, then maybe yes. But as you could see, I am struggling for a definitive answer in a very hypothetical situation. Yeah, fair enough. Here's the next uh, question for you, Matthias. Kuna uh, Ramalassen at Connor Ramla on Twitter asks, who would you rather keep, Zagadou or Hakimi? Zagadou, no doubt. I mean, that's... Yeah, was that quick enough of an answer? Yes. Constantine, next question from Nick Doré for you, and it's a very broad one. Who are some players you think we should try to transfer in this summer, and also who do you think we should try to transfer out? Oh, um, like, let's start with transferring out, uh, transferring people yeah. out. Out, out. We should, we should transfer them out. Um, no, first, first buy everyone no, so no, you, no, you, no. you can first, pressure others to leave. Uh, what I what I have to say is um, because the situation has fundamentally changed, um, if a player is reliable and wants to stay, um, you have to think about keeping the player at, uh, right now. Um, I mean, what we have to keep in mind in this entire transfer situation is that maybe there are players who aren't really fond of moving to England right now. Just a thought. Um, so. I don't know about Italy. Of course, I mean, yeah, there is some relaxation and everything is calming down a little bit. Still, um, there are some major con concerns you can have as, uh, as uh, someone who, has, who might have options. Um, so I think they can think about um, selling Mahmoud Dahoud. Um, just because, I mean, it never has panned out, really. What was, what was expected once upon a time. Um, Matthias would disagree, though. He thinks this transfer was always a hit, but, you know. Yeah, I know. As our resident uh, Dahoud fanboy. So, <laughs> so then you have to think about the, the low knees, uh, André Schuler. Uh, just to, <laughs> just I to think a lot of people just uh, had a spit take. Listening to this, uh, having completely forgotten about André Schulle. Yeah, he's still a Dortmund player, and he actually gave an interview uh, well, a short while ago, where he said, yeah, we'll just come back to Dortmund in the summer. Uh, then we will see. So, yeah, there's, there's one, there's one. Um, and then I think you can, I mean, it, it, it will be hard, but maybe Nico Schulz. I don't know. I think you should keep him, uh, because I think that the... Payout uh, or the, the, the pay you, uh, the transfer fee you could get is not that high at this point. Uh, given also that a lot of these transfer fees will be relatively low this summer, so you have to really consider if you want to sell someone under quote unquote market value. Uh, on the other hand, if you are a club who has liquidity and can buy players, uh, basically like on the stock market, now it's the time. So um, that's something to keep in mind. And I think Dortmund is one of the clubs that has liquidity, so Dortmund can play the long game here, as opposed to Schalke and, and, and even maybe Mönchengladbach. By the way, um, they're still looking, I think, still looking for a main sponsor for their jerseys. Um, so in terms of getting people, signing people, I think the Bellingham transfer is more or less a done deal. So I think that's a, that's a big one. Um, versatile player um, so that's something 
Uh, Muni is, I think, a done deal. Um, which I like. Uh, experienced, mature player. Uh, right, right back, right wing back. So that's something um, to take a little bit the pressure off uh, old man Piszczek. Although Muni is basically the same age, so what do what I'm saying here? Um, and then it's it really becomes hard to to really think of of any um, options in the Bundesliga at this uh, right now. I think uh, it's really hard. I think one uh, player I would like to see at Dortmund is uh, next next season is uh, Musa Diaby from from Bayer Leverkusen. You know, going the old route of just buying some of uh, Leverkusen's key players to you know have someone uh, new and to keep Leverkusen at bay. <laughs> So I guess uh, DIB is someone I would like to see at Dortmund, especially if, if really Sancho leaves, um, would be a nice replacement and would be, uh, you know, quote-unquote, not cheap, but not as expensive as other players, I think. So these are three um, I would like to see. Other than that, you have really, you really have to wait. You really have to wait uh, right now to see how the situation unfolds uh, within the next month or so, or within the next two months or so. Uh, also in other countries, because maybe you have a second wave somewhere or something, and really the situation gets pretty bad, and then you can be opportunistic. I know it sounds sounds a little bit a little bit evil, but then you can be opportunistic, right? Um, yeah, I'm, I will add that uh, keeping Bayer Leverkusen at bay can't be that hard since they already play at the Bay Arena. So, um, <laughs> thanks for explaining the joke. Yes, Stefan, uh, <laughs> my very backup. <laughs> That's, How long do you know uh, each other? That's my only job here. Um, um, but Lars, are there any uh, transfers you would like to see? Either in or out? I mean, the, the outs are, I would say, relatively obvious. I mean, most of the loaned out players probably don't have a future at Dortmund. I think you can perhaps flip some of these guys. Like Jeremy Tollion had a very decent season uh, season at Sassuolo. So uh, provided Italy doesn't, you know, become a war zone uh, in the next two months, I think you could probably get, you know, a, a decent sum of cash from, let's say, Roma for him. Uh, because obviously Favre doesn't rate him and he won't play at Dortmund. But he did have a solid season there. So... Uh, th that's basically seven or six or seven players that are not going to come back, um, which obviously might be helpful because you don't want to clutter your squad completely. Uh, personally, I really like DRB, as Konstantin mentioned. I don't think he's necessarily a realistic option in case Sancho stays, uh, as I predicted earlier. So. I think I like uh, Ruben Vargas of Augsburg. Not not a lot of people necessarily take note of an attacking player from Augsburg uh, during this season, but you especially know, not Lukas Piszczek during this season didn't take note at all. Yeah, <laughs> why would he? I mean, <laughs> yeah. they still won both games. Um, yeah, I mean, he's quite versatile. He's quick. He wouldn't necessarily command. Uh, a huge amount of uh, cash in terms of the transfer fee. He's He wouldn't command the starting spot next season, but might grow into a central replacement with a year on his belt at Dortmund. So I think that would be a, a, a good, decent depth option. So, you know, so, so you're saying this is the Marius Wolf transfer, but done right? 
Yeah, maybe it's more of a, a smaller version of the Torgan Azar uh, deal because I think the, the ceiling Fair of enough. Vargas is quite high. And and one more thing that I would definitely try if I were in charge to sign a decent right-footed centre-half because uh, Sagadu and Hummels can only play together in a back three, I would say. Uh, and uh, both obviously focus on the left side. And at right center back, you have Pischek, who's very old, uh, still does a decent job at center half. But I mean, he's he's getting up there. And Akanji, who is actually, I would say, one of the candidates to actually uh, get some cash in at Dortmund if, you know, his dream of playing for Manchester United. I, I think that's a halfway realistic option. So I would sign a youngish uh, upside center of strong right foot uh, I mean it's a pipe dream but Maras Kombula of uh, Verona he's had a superb season in Serie A but uh, I mean he's as as most players in Italy uh, will probably have to choose between uh, Juventus and Inter and not going to come to Dortmund but that kind of profile you know a, a high upside young center back with a strong right foot that can complement Zagadou and Hummels would be quite close to the top of my list. Because if you look at the the entire team of Dortmund, you don't really see outside of the right-back position or right-wing-back position where we can assume Hakimi is gone. I mean, where else is is there an opening for you know a, a strong transfer to come in? There's always places you can improve, obviously, and, and certainly in depth uh, with, with a couple of guys here and there. But... I mean, in, in, in Dortmund's best 11 right now, I think the the, the two spots we, you have to look at is uh, right back and right center half. By the way, did you know that Thomas Meunier was only 28 years old? I actually yes. thought he was older. No, no, I, I, I heard you say he was as old as Pischik yeah. and was... No, 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 no I, 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 was, I was a little bit choking because I, but I was, yeah, yeah, I was actually thinking he was, was 32 or something and I tried to... No, no. Because he, he, he feels like he has been around since... I don't know since since forever. Uh, he also looks older and, and yeah, has yeah. the the kind of body type that looks you know always yeah. a bit old. But and, and also because the name Muni is is for around for so long. I mean, even even if it wasn't like a key player, uh, but still, it's it's interesting to just think about it. Yeah, but yeah, and, I mean, and he's been linked with clubs for you know six yeah. or seven years. Like Manchester United were in for him in like. 2013 or whatever. Right, when you were, were think or when, when you were assuming that maybe he was like 25 or so back then, because it was his peak, uh, he was much younger, and also with the Belgian team because he's around forever there. Um, it's interesting to uh, because yeah, I actually was was thinking that he was a little bit old, so that that gives a plus to the transfer if he comes. Yeah, 28 is it's a good. Although I mean, Nico Schulz, 27, 26, so. Didn't work out. Anyway, Matthias, uh, do you have a, a list made of uh, players you want to see in and players you uh, want to scrap? I, th I think we've beaten that horse okay, pretty good. strongly now. And I have nothing to add to what the fine gentlemen have just said. All right. Neither do I. So uh, I think that should conclude our uh, first revamp of the Yellow World Pot. And... Uh, I think we can answer more listener questions if there are any next week um, and where we will obviously try to preview the Rio Derby with, without any 
anything else to say, I guess. <laughs> so that that's going to be very interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can get a guest on who can shine a light on uh, what's going on at Schalke 04. Um, but in the meantime, I thank everyone out there uh, for listening and uh, for uh, the well wishes. And uh, now it's time for you guys to tell how to connect with you on the Twitter webs. Matthias, you can go first if you want. Very nice. Lars? Yeah, keep your social distancing up at Lars Polman. And Konstantin? Don't follow him. That's what he meant. Correct. Uh. <laughs> it's it's just shitty F1 content at the moment anyway. No, it's that's, superb F1 content. Yeah, that's actually pretty great. Uh, are you also playing other games? I, I'm playing ACC right now. All right. Okay. Then not. I'm, I'm struggling. I've, I've, I'm struggling I've, watched, I've, I've watched a streamer yesterday who who played that game because uh, right now I only have a MacBook and I basically can't play any racing games. Mine is uh, Grid Autosport, so um, it's it's very sad for me. Especially I had Formula One 2013 running on here. I was inspired by Lars and I was doing full Grand Prix racing, like the whole shebang. And then stupid me updated to uh, Mac Catalina. Not knowing that uh, it's the uh, Mac upgrade to the 64-bit from the 32-bit and now half the games don't run anymore. So I've been extremely gutted. So if anyone out there in the uh, greater Philadelphia area has a gaming <laughs> computer they no longer need, uh, I'll, I'll happily take it. So, <clears throat> But anyway, where can people follow you constantly? Yeah, if, if anyone has any, any, any advice as how I uh, take turn one and turn two at Misano at ACC well, uh, then... Drop me a line uh, because I was struggling. Um, so can maybe check uh, Jimmy Broadband's stream. He's not. He's actually he's fun, but he's not. I mean, he's, he's good. He's not fast. He's no, yeah. he's not that. No, no, no. There uh, you have to uh, Dave, David Peril, who is actually a GT free driver uh, for Ferrari for Ronaldo uh, Racing. So check him out. He's really actually fast. Broadband is more of an influencer, like like Super GT. Yeah, you're right. Um, so it's it's funny how it took 55 uh, minutes for finally the content we all wanted to talk. Yeah, about. of course. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm struggling with Mis with Misano World Circuit right now in my Audi. So that's something. Uh, yeah, I'm ch check check my Twitter profile. Uh, CC underscore ECK and ER as the handle. I uh, have a couple of text features, stories brewing right now. Um, so yeah, check it out in, in English and in German. I will probably be present at the at the first match day after the break. Uh, I don't know at what at what match at which match, uh, but I will be present somewhere and, and we'll actually cover that uh, because that's kind of a shit show I want to cover. Um, so yeah, that's that's it. Yeah, stay safe. Um, anyway, send all your uh high-end gaming machines, uh, Xboxes, Playstations and whatnot to EdgeDefamusco on Twitter um, or uh, Philadelphia, to be honest. Um, but no, as always, thank you all, everyone out there for listening and you can get in touch with all of us at YellowWallPod on Twitter and Facebook. And if you want to read our written content, go to theyellowwall.net if you want to sponsor an episode like Vedran and uh, Jordan, then uh, go to patreon.com slash theyellowwall for more information. And uh, I'm glad to say until next week, goodbye. <laughs>